We're going to have worship and communion at the end of the service tonight. And so as we go through the word, this this moment that God would be preparing your hearts even for the worship and the communion with him at the end. So we are in Acts chapter 18 this evening. You can make your way over to Acts chapter 18. What we have in this chapter is is Paul on his second missionary journey. He'll be finishing up his journey in this study. Altogether, this journey that that he started off on will will, will take over two years to accomplish. Um, I think oftentimes, if we're not quite reading or, or digging into um, the book of Acts, we, we can read through it and think like, oh, he went on a, a, a missionary trip. And we're, we're used to because, you know, we go on short-term missions trips that, oh, he must have gone for a couple of weeks, a month, whatever. No, this one took over two years to complete at least. <clears throat> and when he took off from Antioch in Samaria, he headed north. He headed north, and, and it's kind of weird because when, when I'm doing it, I'm doing it the way I would do it. But you, you would have to like, he went north and then, and then headed south when, when, when he took off from, from Antioch. And he skirted around the Mediterranean Sea, and he, he ended up passing through his hometown of, of Tarsus, which was also a, a, a coastal city. And so if you look in your maps, and you again, most maps tell you, you know, the first, second missionary journey and the other map, third and fourth missionary journey. But, but he, he, he heads off north, skirts around the Mediterranean, stops by his hometown. And from there, he continues to go northwest inland. And he got to Troas, and when he gets to Troas, he, he's going to, it, it's another coastal city, but he's traveled throughout this, this, this region and from there, he's going to cross over the Aegean Sea. And they made some stops along the way. If you look at your, at your map, he, he went back to, to visit some of the places he had been in his first missionary journey. And he wanted to go to other places, but the Holy Spirit didn't lead them in that direction. As a matter of fact, they, they had a desire to go south kind of like if they were going across the United States to kind of go south towards Southern Cal, and, and the Lord stopped them from doing that. And then they kind of wanted to go up uh, the other way, and, and the Lord forbid them to do that as well. But all, all the way, they were being led by the Holy Spirit. And again, this journey, if you kind of try to picture this journey, it would be like someone taking off from South Florida, from about Tampa area, taking off from there and then skirting around the, the Gulf of Mexico and, and landing like in Tallahassee or somewhere in, in Florida. And, and from there, headed northwest as someone would cut across the U.S. and, and go over to like the border of, of um, Washington and Oregon. Not quite the landmass that we would have here in the United States. That region was a, a lot smaller it's not up to scale there, as I'm telling you that. 
But but that's if you can picture that from somebody taking off, that's the kind of the, the direction that, that they took as they headed down that way. And the, as the Lord led them, led this team, He was leading them over to Macedonia, again, having to cross the Asian Sea and coming over to what we would know as as the Europe area. So the gospel now gets there, but it's it's the Macedonia area because Paul had gotten a vision of, of a man a- asking him from Macedonia, come and help us over here. And so that's where they headed. Again, what I love about this trip is that they had a desire to go back to visit the people that they had visited or, or yeah, got, got to the first time. And they had that desire and they did stop at a few areas, but they didn't get to go all the way. The Holy Spirit forbid them to go to different places. The Holy Spirit closed the doors in certain areas, but He led them in a certain direction. And that's the way God was leading them to go over to Macedonia. And I like that because, again, they weren't putting God in a box. They had their plans, but the Lord was directing their path. And it's okay to make plans, but always be open to what the Lord has. And so they get to Macedonia, and then they end up in Philippi. And and if you know the story, he gets beat up there and put in, in prison, and then... He's told to move along, little doggy, to get out of there. And they head south to Achaia. Achaia. And that's where he, he was at in Athens. And as we get into chapter 18, he has now left Athens and he has come to Corinth. Big city. The interesting thing to note here is that he will be leaving Corinth this evening. (laughs) He'll be leaving at the end of this study. But he spent a year and a half in Corinth. Which is which I find interesting because Paul was an evangelist. He he had a pastor's heart. But he was more of one who would start a church, get it going, and then move on. And for him to stay at a, a particular place for, for a year, a year and a half, is a long time. And up to this point, up to this journey, he hadn't stayed anywhere very long. But could it be, is it possible, that if in fact Paul was, or had gotten... To Corinth a little discouraged as we looked at last week as the Lord had brought him to sin city <laughs> a perverted city a dark city could it be that even though he was discouraged and kind of flickering in his walk there that God wanted him there in that dark place to fan the flame to bring him to a place where he humbled himself and allowed the Lord to to raise them back up. Because again, as we're going through this portion that we covered last time from verse 1 to verse 11, the Lord says certain things to him that just ministers to him in, in, in a big way. But as I was looking at that, I'm thinking, could it be that he wanted him to burn bright in the middle of darkness? Because oftentimes that's where the Lord uses us in, in some of the most dark places. 
you know, if I if I struck a match here in the in in the middle of all this light, it wouldn't make much difference. But if we turned off all the lights and it got completely dark in here, that light, everybody's eyes would go to it. And sometimes the Lord allows us to be in places, whether it's our families or our jobs or or particular places where He allows us to be, that's just pure wickedness and darkness. Sometimes He puts us there to fan that flame, (laughs) to see that even if it's a flicker, man, people might be drawn to it. And if it gets a blazing, people will notice. And it's quite possible that He was there because of that. And He stayed there for that long. Interestingly enough, the Lord brought some new brothers and sisters into Paul's life, as well as some old companions to come and strengthen him, to encourage him, to lift him back up. And it's interesting because we're looking at that portion of Scripture and he got like all these friends coming to him. And on top of that, the Lord shows himself real in a powerful way, in a vision. And he reminded him, don't be afraid, but speak. And that he wasn't alone and that he would never leave him. And I just think, Lord, you're too good. You're too good to us. Because oftentimes we get discouraged just because we are who we are. And the Lord brings brothers and sisters around us and they try to encourage us. And oftentimes, as soon as they leave, we get back into our little pity party. And the Lord shows up and He ministers to us, reveals Himself to us, shows Himself strong. And we have a decision to make when He does that. Do we just ignore Him? Or do we get encouraged? And so I love the fact that Oftentimes when we're down, and maybe Paul was at that time, he brought people along the way to help him, to encourage him. And the Lord shows himself strong. He comforts us so that we might comfort others. Maybe that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter to them. And he said this in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Could it be? <laughs> Is it possible? that Paul wrote that to these people who he, who he hung out with for a year and a half to remind them, remember when I was down and you guys comforted me and the Lord comforted me? He does that so we can comfort one another. Amen? Chapter 18, let's start in verse 1. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, and because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with him and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every, sun, every Sabbath and persuaded 
both Jews and Greeks. Then Silas and Timothy, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from them and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his family, with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Galil was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galil said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should hear, bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge in such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took uh, Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him among, uh, before the judgment seat. And Galil took no notice of these things. We'll stop right there. We'll go to verse 22 in a little bit says that when this guy Galil was the proconsul of Achaia, or Achaia. Verse 11 tells us that, that Paul was there for a year and a half. And in verse 18, it tells us that he remained there a, a, a little while longer. And could it be that his total time was a year and a half up to verse 11? He had been there that long and, and, and maybe after verse 11 he stayed there a little longer. However it was, the time that Paul spent there, he saw many people come in and out of his life. And, and, and I'm supposing that, that a lot of people got saved and there was probably a lot who didn't get saved. But there was people being there a year and a half, there was probably people that were just around all the time. But there was one guy in particular who had gotten there while Paul was there in that time frame. And he was only there for about a year. And this is that guy, Galil. He had gotten there in 50 A.D. to 51 A.D. That, that's when he was uh, commissioned to that area of Achaia. And so he was only there for a certain time. And, and this proconsul, he was the governor of that region. And so it could be that, 
that while Paul was there, this guy showed up. And within that time frame, he left again. But however it was, however the whole scenario pans out, um, this guy, he's kind of important in Paul's life here. I don't know if they knew each other or not yet. It's interesting because the Lord had told Paul, hey, Paul, don't worry. No one's going to attack you to hurt you. And here are the Jews that get hold of him and take him to the proconsul here. But the Lord had promised that no one would hurt you in this way. But he didn't say that people wouldn't oppose him or persecute him. In other words, there wouldn't be sticks and stones this time, but there would be a lot of words that would hurt him. Verbal abuse that would come at him. As we read earlier where where it says that they blasphemed, insulted him in the most vile way about his Lord and Savior. And so even though he was not beaten or hurt or imprisoned, he is being taken to the proconsul here. And it's quite possible that maybe Paul was encouraged by all the the, the hullabaloo that was happening in his life there. The, the, the people that were coming against him. I'm wondering if, it, if at this time he's thinking, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be when there's opposition coming against me. And maybe it was like, like he felt good because back in Athens none of that happened and he may, may have felt like a, a failure there. And now people are starting to come against me. Yes, right on. Not because he was a jerk, not because of any of those things, because he was preaching the Word of God. And these guys did not like what was being preached, what was being shared. And I'm sure, again, that that we read that Crispus, the the ruler of the synagogue, had even come to Christ. And we read over here that there's another guy that gets beat up in a little bit. And so you could imagine that these people are going, this guy is is persuading people, this guy is, is doing all these things to draw people away. And it's quite possible that, again, all these things that are going on, I'm sure the Jews were hopeful that with this new proconsul on the scene, he would side with them as they came and they, 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 they throw these allegations, these, these charges against Paul. Maybe they, they thought that he would see this new Christianity thing this new Christian sect as illegal. As something that, 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 that goes contrary to, to, to what is being taught there and being preached. And it wouldn't surprise me if these Jews had already been at the judgment seat a couple of times, already bugging this guy, bending his ear, wearing on the council's nerves here, and he's probably like, oh, it's you guys again. Do you guys complain about everything? What the heck? How come you guys are always at my doorstep? How come you guys are always at the, at the judgment seat? Their charge, their indictment of Paul was that he was persuading these people to worship God contrary to the law. The Amplified puts it this way, that, that, they, that he was advising inducing and inciting people to worship God in violation to the law. 
the law of Rome and the law of Moses. This guy is just the biggest troublemaker. That's what they're charging. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I've known Paul for about 33 years. I, I, I've, I've gotten to know him. And I don't think he ever like, made somebody do something that he didn't, they didn't want to do. To where he's inciting them. He's provoking them. It is a strong word. And, and it could be used to, to persuade. But he, he never made someone accept Jesus. He, he, he didn't twist their arm and say, you have to accept Jesus. You have to go by this law. He, he, he never like really came against the law of Rome or the law of Moses. Oh, it was different. If anything, he was telling them, Jesus fulfilled the law. Ah, oh, you're coming against Moses, our main man. You can't do that. Again, if these guys, these Jews who were, who were students of the word, would have studied even a little bit more, they would have known, this guy is the guy that's preaching about Jesus who came. But he never, he never made anybody do anything. Paul, Paul was pretty persuasive. He, he did have a strong personality. I can grant you that. But he never made somebody worship God. And it's quite possible that Galil knew that these guys were exaggerating, embellishing these charges against this man. They didn't like him. And so in verse 14, it says, When Paul was about to open his mouth. I'm sure Paul is going, Okay, as soon as they quiet down a little bit, I'll give them my, my story. I'll let them know where I'm coming from once again. He probably had had battles with these guys in the, in the past. And now they've brought him before the proconsul, and now he's like, okay, here we go again. And right as he, as he is about to open his mouth, the proconsul, Galil, jumps in. And he starts talking to the Jews about this whole incident, this whole thing. That if it was, if it was a wrongdoing, a misdemeanor, something to that effect, I would hear you guys out. But if it's a question about your own little religion thing there, you guys deal with it. Don't be bringing it before the, the council. Don't be wasting my time with, with churchly duties when I have to deal with civic duties over here. Come on. Now this is one of those times when the Lord intervenes and protects His people. And He uses unusual means to do it. Because as I was looking at this, I'm going, what if Paul would have started defending himself? What if he would have spoken? What if it would have, like, it could have escalated? Something else could have happened. But God had already told them, Jesus had already told them, hey, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And he uses this this non-believer, this pro-counsel who's high up here, to, to step in and, and to protect him. And this guy, this guy has no clue what he's doing in that sense. But he jumps in there. And he interrupts 
And I thought, that's just the way God does things. He, he, he was going to protect Paul. And God had brought this man for this time. Again, he, he, he was only there for about a year. I'm sure this guy Galil probably thought, why do you guys put me in this armpit of hell? This, this perverted place. Why do I have to be down? Maybe he was being punished for something. I don't know. But he's in Corinth and he's having to deal with all the, the, the ugliness there. And, and, and not just the pervertedness, but he's having to deal with all these religious people. But it's quite possible that God brought him there for this very moment to do his bidding for him. <laughs> to protect one of his own people. And I'm thinking, right on, God. That is awesome. Because I'm sure Paul had, had no clue that this guy would come between him and the Jews here to protect him. He had no clue. He probably thought, here I go again, Lord. Didn't you say you were going to protect me from this harm kind of stuff? And then this guy jumps in and I can imagine Paul going, that is hilarious. Look at how God's doing this. God is always at work on our behalf, guys. He is always at work on our behalf. And sometimes we understand it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. And, and the proverb came to mind in, in Proverbs 21 1. He says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like, a, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And he had taken this, this man who, who was a governor, who was a pro counsel, and, and he, I'm sure maybe he had his, his sights set on another place, and God says, Hey, I've got to take you down to Corinth. Uh, you're going to take a detour. You're going to come over here and I'll take you out in a year, but you've got to be there for this particular time because one of my guys is going to be brought before the pro-council. And it's quite possible that the other pro-council before him or the one that came after him wouldn't have stepped in and protected him, but this guy did. Perfect timing. It's like, man, what a big coincidence. <laughs> how, how, how it all just kind of came together at that moment. For him. But you see, God was not just intervening for Paul. He was also intervening for the church that was being established there at, at Corinth for Christianity itself. You see, Rome did not permit the spreading of new new religions just on a whim. I mean, they, they, they let all these other kind of, you know, idols, and, and, but, but a religion like the Judaism and things like that, they, they, they weren't too keen upon that. And Judaism was accepted and established. It had been there for a while. And these Jews were, were saying, in effect, that this Christianity was a new and, 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 and different kind of cult. It, it, it was totally different from Judaism. And yet, Galil didn't think, think that way. He didn't see it that way. To him, Christianity, the way it sounded, maybe the way the things were being brought up, what he might have known of, uh, uh, about it, to him, Christianity was under the guise, the auspice of, of, of Judaism there. 
They were the same for him. And therefore, it didn't matter <laughs> what these guys were saying. It wasn't to be, be settled in civic court here. And so the decision that, that the pro-council makes here is critical, it's vital. Not just for Paul, but for the church and for Christianity. It was tantamount to, to legitimizing Christianity there in, in Corinth. It was huge. That Christianity in the eyes of, of the Roman law would be legit. But that's not what the, what the Jews wanted to hear. They, 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 they wanted him beaten. They wanted him put in prison. They wanted that, that stopped. And, and it's interesting because, again, we see how, how God intervenes and takes care of this whole situation for Paul and how this pro-council is used. And my thought went back to when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. When, 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 when this kind of same scenario comes before another pro-council, be, be, before someone who, who had the authority to, to tell the Jews, get out of my face. You know what? Go deal with it on your own. And he tried that several times, but they pressured him. Well, if you let this man go, then you're no friend of Caesar's. But these guys, they didn't do that with Galil here. <laughs> the, the, the government, the, the Roman government allowed the Jews to deal with their own matters. That, that even if they had to put someone to death, they, they had the right. So, so they gave them a lot of leeway. But I truly think that Galil knew that these guys were just being petty. These guys were just upset, envious, jealous. And he drives them out of his courtroom, out of the judgment seat, and he basically tells them, hey, go pound some sand. Get out of my face. And it's, it's kind of interesting the fight breaks out <laughs> as that happens. And, and it's the Greeks. The Greeks, perhaps they heard all that was going on and tired of these Jews and, and how they were treating people. I don't know. I, I'm just speculating there. But this, this new ruler of the synagogue gets jumped. <laughs> He gets beaten right, right in front of the whole thing of, of, of what's going on. <laughs> and, and it seems the way it sounds that they did it right in front of Galil, but he took no notice of these things. It's like, I don't know, kill yourselves, I don't care. He, he could care less. And, and, and another proverb came to mind. I don't know if it fits completely, but I just I was thinking of, of those who kind of try to set a trap for someone and they fall into their own trap. Where it says in, in uh, Proverbs twenty six twenty seven, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. <laughs> and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. They, 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 they wanted to to trip up Paul. They wanted to do these things to Paul and all of a sudden one of their own is getting jacked up. <laughs> it, it, it came back and bit them instead. But this poor guy, Sosthenes, or Sosthenes, 
He's kind of getting beat up. And there's a Sosthenes that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And he's called the brother there. Maybe somebody who was hanging out with Paul. And we don't know if it's the same guy mentioned here that gets beat up. It may be a different Sosthenes. One, one commentator said that there, that was a common name. So it could have been many of, of these guys around. But could it be <laughs> that this man got saved because of this whole incident? That, that this other ruler of the synagogue, now that Crispus was out, this guy who had just taken over, could it be that, that he got ministered to, to by Paul and maybe Crispus? Who, who maybe came alongside after the beating and said, hey man, let's take care of this guy. I don't know, I'm just speculating again. But what we see and what we've covered is that God is at work on our behalf all the time. All the time. He, 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 never, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He, he never takes a day off. He never, like, is too tired for you. No matter where you're at, no matter where you find yourself. As He leads and He guides us, He goes before us and He comes up behind us. He envelops us. No, no matter where, where we are at, you can bet that He knows exactly what is going on in your life. And even as He does that, He also leads and guides unbelievers, believe it or not, and puts them where they need to be, oftentimes. And He uses them on our behalf, if He has to. And they have no clue what they're doing. (laughs) They have no clue that some of them are being used by God. Because God's direct them. You see, we cannot limit... God and how He intervenes. Sometimes He just works in the most unconventional ways. (laughs) And we can't put a limit on that because I think sometimes it's like, well, God would never do that that way. It's like, don't say never. Because He can do whatever He stinking wants. Anytime. With whoever He wants. Not, not, not that God's up there and He's just playing this big old chess game, you know, but it's kind of like that. He, he knows exactly. He, he, he leads people. He turns people. He puts people in certain areas. And oftentimes it's for our benefit. And we don't even realize it sometimes because it's like, oh, God would never. It's like, He does. Don't underestimate what God can do because he's not above using anything that that is at his disposal. I think we would be surprised to see how many unbelievers even would come to your defense because how you have touched them or ministered to them. And they might not say it to your face, but when somebody speaks ill of you, when somebody comes against you, that they would say, hey, hey, don't talk about him that way. He's my friend. I, I had an interesting thing happen to me last year. Uh, I was on, on, on campus at Chaparral and I was in a meeting. And, and some of you guys remember Chief Miller. He was kind of a hard-nosed. Um, 
and, and we were in a meeting, and, and you know, I, I'm a chaplain, and I come on campus, and he was telling this guy that we were talking to, he was from in the state or however he was, and he came to my defense, and that, not that somebody was attacking me, but he says, if anybody ever comes against this man, they will have to deal with me, and it's like, and I told Pastor Gary, some of you guys know Pastor Gary from Apple Valley, and he's the one that started the whole chaplaincy program, and he didn't like Christians. He didn't like Christians. This guy, uh, not Pastor Gary, um, <laughs> um, uh, Chief Miller, he just thought, uh, it's just your crutch or whatever. But he came to my defense, and I didn't even ask him to. And I just thought that was the coolest thing, because I'm going, Lord, this man doesn't even know you, or he claims he doesn't. And yet, he has come to a defense of, of me. It's like, but nobody was attacking me. But I just thought that was the coolest thing. And he had no clue what that meant to me. Or what that meant to maybe the other people that were sitting in that meeting. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. But it's like, man, we have no idea what God does in the lives of people. And those who may not ever come to you and, 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 and appreciate your ministering to them, they might say that to other, other people in your office, in your home. They might come to your defense. Verse 18. So Paul still remained a little, a little while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his, cut, his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Then they asked him to stay longer, to stay a longer time with them, but he did not consent. But took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep the coming feast in Jerusalem but I will return again to you God willing and he sailed from Ephesus and then he landed and when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church he went down to Antioch so as he remained a little while longer, however the, the, the case was there, somehow Paul knew that it was time to leave. It was time to, to leave Corinth and the relationships that he had built there. And it was from Corinth that that time that he spent there that he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. And he would send letters to them and he would send Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how the church and the brethren we're doing up there to check up on them. But his heart was to get back to his home church. First to go to Jerusalem to be there for a certain time. And along the way he made some quick stops. And he picked up or he left off some, some companions. Those who had left with him from Corinth. And then he would leave them in Ephesus. But it says that he had his hair cut off when he got to Sincrea because he had taken a vow. 
And, and, and most commentators believe that this was a Nazarite type of vow that you could read about in Numbers 6, verses 1 through 21. And, and in this vow, you weren't to shave your head or cut your hair for the remainder of the time. Whatever time that you have vowed this vow for the appointed time. And whatever the time was, Paul now that he was in Sincrea and ready to sail off, it was time to cut his hair. And I'm thinking, okay, when did he start this vow? How long was his hair? I mean, did he shave his beard? Did he just look like this gnarly like man that was just like grubby? I don't know. But somehow he, 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 he now comes to the end of the vow. And he cuts his hair. And I thought... Was Paul, was Paul still kind of practicing Judaism? Was he still a practicing Jew? Because that, the Nazarite vow, it, it was a Jewish thing. And, and maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't like take it all the way, but it was, it was some kind of commitment, some kind of vow that he had made to the Lord while he was in Corinth, maybe. Maybe before that, maybe at that time. It could be after the vision that the Lord ministered to him and, and he made a vow to God that he would not cut his hair or do whatever he had to do until an appointed time. But whatever the case may be, it's interesting that he, that he would make a vow like that. Paul, Paul was the type that he would tell the people, you know, you don't have to, you know... Uh, observe the days and months and years and, and the new moon and the he, he, he was like whatever you want to do you're free you're free in Christ to, to observe those days or not observe those days and yet here Paul takes a vow that kind of sounds like a Nazarite vow and it's interesting and I find it interesting that he would do something like that but it reminded me of, of what he shared to the Corinthians when he wrote back to them. And if you want to turn there, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Beginning in verse 10. Oh no, 19, I mean. 1 Corinthians nine nineteen. He says, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. To the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, not being without law towards God, but under, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means win, uh, save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. It's quite possible that he made this commitment or this vow in, in, a, in a sense to identify still with some of the Jews that were around him. And maybe they respected him for, for that. It's like, hey, man, you, you, you're not putting us down, but you're doing some of the same things. 
But he would use it for, for, for the benefit of preaching the gospel. And he said that he had to or he wanted to be back in Jerusalem for the feast. And it's quite possible for the Passover. And it's like, well, was he still observing the Passover? Or could it be that he wanted to be there because he knew the throngs of people that would be there? And it would give him another opportunity to share the gospel or to meet up with some of the brethren that were still observing some of these festivals and feasts and that they would be down there and he would encourage them. Either way, whatever the case may be, he was going to use whatever he could use for the gospel's sake, even unconventional things like letting his hair grow as a vow. (laughs) Where people might say, hey, as Christians, we don't do that. It's like, it's not going to hurt anything. I'm not going to lose my salvation if I make this vow or let my hair grow out or shave it off. It's just a little different. And I think sometimes, even as Christians, we might get a little perturbed, a little put out, a little like, well, we don't do that. It's like, dude, is it worth, is it going to cost you your salvation? No. But if I could lean this way and win somebody to the Lord or minister to them because of this, I will do it. So it's quite possible that Paul, just like the Lord used some unconventional ways to minister and to, 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 to come to his defense, that maybe Paul was just going to use some unconventional ways to get the gospel out as well. Guys, tonight we're going to have some worship. We have communion set up up here. Um, we're going to have a half hour of just worship. So you don't have to run up here the first song and, 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 and take communion. If you want to, it's up to you. But we're just going to worship. It's not so much a communion service. It's just a time with Jesus. And maybe you're here and, and maybe you're going, oh man, I can't take communion because of the way I feel. Well, here's your opportunity. Repent. Get right with God right where you're at right now. So that you can be able to have this fellowship with Jesus. To have this intimate time. And if it takes you three or four songs, then let it take three or four songs. You be in worship. You you be in a, in a place of prayer where God will minister to your heart. To where you can come and partake with a clear conscience. To be able to just worship Him in this way. Again, if you want to come up here and, and have communion by yourself, do that. If you want to take it back, sit with your, with your friends or family, do that. If you want to have communion as a group, do that. If you want to get your whole rose, like, hey, let's just go. Do... However you want to do it, let's, let's just worship tonight. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much. Just for this time, Lord God, of being able to come into your presence. Lord, to worship you, to honor you, Lord. Father, as we see, even in your word, how you use some, some unconventional manners to, to minister to your people, to come to their defense and to protect them. We thank you, Lord God. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see when those things are happening in our lives, Lord, so that we can give you glory and honor and praise for the things that you are doing in our lives day by day. Lord, I know that you are at work. And we thank you for that, Lord. I do pray that if there's anyone in this room right right now, Lord God, who doesn't know you, who needs to know you, Lord, who needs to surrender their lives to you, Lord, I pray that right where they sit, 
they would repent of their sins and come to you and become that new person. That you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, even right now. Lord, if any of my brothers and sisters are feeling down or discouraged, Lord, remind them of what you have done on their behalf already. Remind them, Lord God, that that you love them. And if they come to you and repent, Lord God, that you will forgive them of their sin. That they might be able to partake and have this intimate time with you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, bring us to that place of just sweet surrender. I pray for the worship team up here that you would just encourage them as they, they lead us in a time of worship that they themselves would just worship. Give them that opportunity, Lord God, to just bask in your glory as well. Blessed be your name, for you are worthy to be praised, to be honored, to be magnified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.